Hey, do me a favor, just take 30 seconds, talk to someone who's right near you, tell them who you are and tell them what you did today because it's such a beautiful day. Go. Okay. Wonderful. Hey. <laughs> awesome. Hey, it seems like there's a lot of great stuff going on. So glad. <clears throat> so glad. And I want to echo our college pastor, John Pricketts. I want to I echo his uh, welcome, especially for those of you who are joining for the first time. And uh, you're just welcome here. And, and for those of you who may not consider yourselves a Christian, follower of God, or a follower of Jesus. I just am so glad you're here. really honor just where you are and just your search for truth and um, life and the meaning of this, this world and everything. And I, I'm just thrilled that you'd share this evening with us. We're absolutely excited about that. For those of you who weren't with us last Sunday, it was Easter, a little celebration on the Christian calendar we enjoy. We had a great time here. And um, one thing we talked about was we talked about how his resurrection equals our transformation. Yes, there it is. Right? Right from Romans 6.4. This is one of the more prolific writers of the New Testament. Paul was writing to the church in Rome and he said, uh, just as Christ was raised from the dead, this is Romans 6.4, so you also um, have been raised. You can live a new life. You get to live a new life. So his being raised from the dead equals new life for you and me. Or his resurrection equals our transformation. That's what we talked about last week. But, and there's a little but that we put at the end there. But, life is hard. Life is hard. And so in order for us to apply all the resurrection life of Christ, all that he's bought for us, you know, by his resurrection, we really believe that Jesus raised from the dead. But in order to apply that to our lives, we need to start to make sense of our lives. Many of us have experienced some really difficult things. And so it's in, it's in dealing with the difficult things, the pain of our life, right? We have this why God why is what we're starting tonight in our series. And a lot of it's painful events, it's painful circumstances that make us go, why God why? And until we really interpret those painful things of our lives, we can't really correctly or appropriately or fully apply the resurrection life of Christ to our lives. And so that's what I want to help us do tonight. And we're going to begin by looking at a few of our stories. Okay, these are people right here, your friends here at the harbor. We're going to listen to their stories and start to look at how do we interpret the painful, the hard things of our lives. I know many of your stories, certainly not all of yours. <clears throat> but I know that you too are asking why, why God, why? Do you also, like Keith and like Shauna, do you know some of the pain of losing a loved one to a terrible disease? Multiple loved ones at that? Maybe, like Jeremy and like Caitlin, you know what it's like to be a part of a family that either never materialized or just dissolved, disintegrated by divorce, other things. What about betrayal that you experience in either a romantic relationship or just a friendship? My own wife uh, had a terrible betrayal in her junior high years. They hurt. These are defining wounds. They shape us. What about you? What about you? What are your defining wounds? What are the things that have shaped your life? The pains that you've encountered? And I'm glad that I know some of you who have had really good 
childhoods, and I think that's wonderful. But I wonder also, what do you do with two men, three men getting into a plane here in Boston, boarding that plane, taking over the cockpit, and smashing that plane into the side of the tower in New York City so that thousands die? What do you do with the kind of evil that causes someone to strap on a bomb to their own selves and blow themselves up? What do you do with that? What do you do with that? Well, the good news for us tonight is that the Scriptures do have a lot to say about suffering. They have a lot to say about your pain. They have a lot to say about the things that you and I have gone through. And in a message like this, there's actually a lot of ways we could go. And that's why we've made it a series, because there are a lot of ways we can go. But tonight, I'm going one way. And this way I'm going, it's appropriate that we look at a writer. His name is Peter. And uh, you can turn with me to 1 Peter. And this is the right guy for the job, talking about pain and suffering. Somewhere right after 60 AD, Peter's writing this letter. Peter is writing from Rome. And those of you who remember Peter, he's the guy who denied Jesus three times. One of Jesus' close friends, but kind of blew it there towards the end. Then Jesus recycled him and renewed him, and it was wonderful. But Peter was writing a letter from Rome, most likely to churches in the northern part of what is today Turkey. And these guys are going through a hard time. They're being persecuted because the fact that they believe in the very thing we celebrated last week. You know, we celebrated the resurrection of Christ. They're preaching the resurrection. And because of that, they were getting in trouble. And although the official persecution from Nero, the emperor Nero, wasn't going to start until about a year or two after he wrote this letter, believe me, these guys knew what it was like. That The persecution was yet official. It was almost official. So people were still being really mean to Christians. And shortly after this letter... It would start to look like, maybe you've seen the movie Gladiator, you know, where they put lions and tigers in the Colosseum and throw people to them. That's what was going to happen. And he says this to them, and I'm in 1 Peter 5.8. He says, be self-controlled and alert. He says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a lion, a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Your enemy, the devil. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Whether you like it or not, you and I have been born into a world at war. Your enemy, the devil. This is what Peter is saying to these guys. Your enemy, the devil. You've been born into a world at war. Now let me just break this down a little bit. Be self-controlled and alert. You know, these are fun words to look at. Self-controlled just means be dispassionate, be be sober. When we look at the Greek. And the word for alert is wake up. So it's kind of like I'm saying to you right now, heads up, Christians, heads up. Peter's saying to these guys, heads up. You've got an enemy, and you need to know that. Heads up. Be self-controlled and alert. Heads up. He says, your enemy, the devil. Your enemy. Enemy is an adversary. Okay? And the picture here that the Greek gives is your enemy in court. Right? Someone who is opposing you in court. Kelsey and I are on the terrible end of a silly lawsuit right now 
because of an accident that she was in three years ago. And let me tell you, our adversaries, it's just a ridiculous thing they're doing. We have an adversary, and it's actually the case that they brought against me is exactly against us, is exactly why I get so frustrated with like, the waste in the courts. What a waste of time. They are clearly at fault, but, but they're just using the courts to their advantage, and they're our adversaries right now. The devil. He is the accuser. Okay, what he does is he accuses you before God, right? And says all sorts of bad things about who you are. Your enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Prowl is actually kind of a, an interesting translation because really it's just, just, it's just going about, you know, making progress. You're, the devil just kind of is going about. I thought about these, these bands of youth that um, Kelsey and I live right on Cabot Street, so right there on the street, kind of right near Dunkin' Donuts in the Gloucester Crossing neighborhood. And there are, it's fun, as the, as the weather gets uh, warmer and as school is going to get out here in a couple of months, I remember being there last summer and there's kind of these roaming bands of youth, right? They're kind of prowling about. And like, woe is you if you cross their path, honestly. Because if you cross their path, you're probably going to get an insult hurled at you. It's just guys who just are just doing nothing during the whole summer. So... You know, they just will say all sorts of silly things to you. If there's a dumpster in their path, they'll upend it and get everything out of there. If they walk into Dunkin' Donuts, they're just going to make havoc at Dunkin' Donuts. And I just thought, what a great picture of what the devil's doing. <laughs> you know, these youth kind of prowling about, just making trouble wherever they go. They're looking to make trouble in your life. Honestly. Looking for someone to devour, Okay. The word is devour. It means devour. It means swallow up. Have you ever seen a, a snake take its prey? Boom, it's gone, you know? Rat is ten times bigger than the snake's mouth, but he's gone. And that's what the devil is looking to do. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil. The thing I'm trying to say here, church, is we have an enemy. You are strongly opposed. You are strongly opposed. And you need to know that. You've been born into a world at war. I have a son who's about to turn six months old on Friday. And one of the things I'm really looking forward to is telling him, hey, son, this is how life is. I can't always explain it, but this is how it is. This is how it is with finances, right? If I can't tell him the value of a dollar, he's going to have trouble. So I need to teach him the value of a dollar. If he doesn't learn how to Make friends by being a friend. Hey, son, if you want friends, you're going to have to be a friend. You've got to learn this because that's just the way it works. Otherwise, you're going to be a lonely son, a lonely kid, and I wouldn't want that. Women, you can't always try to figure them out. You just love them, you know? <laughs> Such a waste. What a great waste of time is trying to figure it out and solve, you know. Don't try to solve the problem. Just listen, you know? I need to tell them that. And likewise, the thing that I'm going to tell my son is, hey, this is the way it is. Son, you are strongly opposed. There's an enemy out to get you. And hey, Jesus loves us. He protects us. But you need to know that you're going to be strongly opposed everywhere you go. Have you ever wondered why it is that all the blockbuster movies are telling the same story? Think Lord of the Rings. Think The Matrix. We looked at a clip last week. Think Gladiator. Think Avatar even, which I haven't seen, but familiar enough with the plot. Why are they all telling the same story? Why is there a villain? And why do the heroes get transformed 
as they overcome the villain? Is it maybe because this is the story that's been going on in the universe since the beginning of time? That's what Ecclesiastes 3.11 would tell us, right? A wise man, a wise king, King Solomon of Israel, he penned these words. He said, eternity is written in the hearts of men. And I would propose to you tonight that the archetype stories that are out there are there for a reason. And the archetype comes from the universe itself. We have found ourselves in a world at war. <clears throat> Kelsey kind of thinks it's funny, but for me to unwind, I really enjoy history. I enjoy military. I enjoy geography. So I unwind. I have been unwinding lately by listening to an audio book called House to House. And no, it's not about cell groups and churches. That actually doesn't help me unwind. So we deal with that all day. But House to House, it's an epic memoir of war. This is the former staff sergeant, David Bellavio, telling his story of the army infantry unit he was with when they went into Fallujah. I don't know if you remember this battle, Fallujah in Iraq, November 2004. It was crazy. Uh, things were intense. Interestingly enough, before the U.S. showed up with all guns a-blazing, Fallujah was totally peaceful. But as the U.S. kind of, as our presence in Iraq got stronger and stronger, Fallujah became a place of showdown. And perhaps you remember images of two Blackwater employees, right? This was the security forces that the U.S. hired. Two Blackwater guys, their bodies being drugged through Fallujah, right? Spoil for the, the, uh, <clears throat> the um, insurgents there. So things kind of ramped up. In November 2004, it was showdown time in Fallujah. And Staff Sergeant Bellavio in his book just tells about how crazy it was going house to house, right? Something his unit wasn't totally trained for, but they found themselves in what some have described to me as a 360 battle, right? They, their job was to go house to house to clear out the enemy. And they encountered not just Iraqi insurgents, but they encountered... Fallujah became a showdown where the whole Middle East got involved. So if there were mercenaries who wanted to stick it to the U.S., they were there, and they were advanced. And so Bellavio was, his units encountered booby traps like they'd never seen before in some of these houses. They encountered a, wisdom, a, a, a cleverness of the enemy that would have them kind of funneled into kill zones, that they, his unit would be most likely to be totally surrounded. House to house, hand-to-hand combat at times. Incredible stuff. And he survived. But if he had gotten there and just said, you know what, we're not trained for this. We don't know what to do. If he just kind of rolled over and said, this is too hard for us, then many more of his men would have been lost. But as it was, he was a great staff sergeant. He is a great former staff sergeant, and he adapted quickly. And he said, okay, here's the problem. Here's the enemy, and they've been incredibly good, and this is crazy, and for us to survive here, we're going to have to pull all our resources together. And I'm just... I'm just suggesting to you that the same is true, that we've got an enemy who is out to devour you. And, and, and we can either pretend the reality doesn't exist and get blown away, or you can come face to face with the fact that this is how it is. You've been born into a world at war. <clears throat> so the question is, how did it get that way? How did it get that way? How did we find ourselves in the midst of a world at war? Well, we get some clues from the Scripture. I'd like to turn now to Revelation 12. Revelation 12. <clears throat> and I need to tell you, this is a really special book in the Bible, right? Scholars call it at, uh, apocalyptic literature. It was written by a guy named John. He's the one who 
uh, was not, he did not hang himself as Judas did. He's not like the ten other disciples in that he didn't die a martyr's death. He died, as far as history tells us, he died a natural death. But for a while he was imprisoned because he believed in the resurrection of Jesus. And he was on this island called Patmos when he got this vision of what God was doing. And listen to what he says in Revelation 12. And there was war in heaven. There was war in heaven. Michael an archangel, and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he, the dragon, was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or the Hebrew, Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. And skip with me, I'm going to pick it up in the middle of verse 12 now. Chapter 12, verse 12, the last book of the Bible, Revelation. It says, but woe to the earth and sea because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. And he guesses who this male child may be. Sunday school answer, survey says, Jesus, thank you. Okay, we're there. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for the desert where she would be taken care of for time, times, and half a time out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. I don't want you to get too disturbed by the language here. What we do know historically happened is that Mary and Joseph took Jesus away to Egypt, to avoid the Roman ruler's decision, which was to kill all the male babies under two years old because he knew something was happening here. He'd gotten warned. And so, so we see Jesus kind of escapes this, and then uh, at the right time, God tells Joseph to come on back to Palestine, to present-day Israel. But let's look at verse 17. Let's look at how this chapter ends. This is what I'm concerned about for you and me. Then the dragon was happy, chilling, no big deal. The dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. You are opposed. You've been born into a world at war. You have been born into a world at war. Your enemy, the devil. Now I can imagine if some of you are visiting here today, you might, I might seem as some sort of caricature of a preacher who's talking devil, devil, devil. And I can tell you, this is the first time in our two and a half years as a church really preaching on the devil <clears throat> or mentioning him to this length. So I want to I bring you into the life of a, an academician, a, um, a smart man, an author, a philosopher, uh, a British man named C.S. Lewis. And he really, his approach to faith was very intellectual, very intelligent. If, if I will, if you will, I will. Will you? Good. <clears throat> so C.S. Lewis, what does he say as he's, as he's reading the New Testament and trying to figure this thing out? Read it with me. He says, one of the things that surprised me when I first read the New Testament seriously was that it talks so much about a dark power in the universe. A mighty evil spirit who is held to be the power behind death, disease, and sin. Let those four stories we just saw come to mind. Death, disease, and sin. 
Christianity thinks the dark power was created by God and was good when he was created and went wrong. Christianity agrees this is a universe at war. So this is a very intelligent man's approach. As he comes to the New Testament and says, wow, what is all this devil, devil, devil stuff? Crazy. And I just want to fill in one other detail, and then I want to get to the important part, which is, you know, what, what do I do with this? Okay, thanks, Neil. So I know that I have an enemy. Great. Peace. See you later. Let's have a little worship, you know? <clears throat> no, we're going to get to the part that you need the most. We're still kind of answering this question, how, how does it get this way? You know, let, let's, let's learn a little bit more about this, this, um, this devil. We're going to do that by looking at uh, an Old Testament book, Ezekiel. And I just need to tell you one little thing about this kind of book. Because it's, it's as kind of crazy as Revelation is. It's a prophetic book. And I've, I can't take credit for this explanation, but I love it. So I'm just going to do it. So a month ago, I went to Denver. And what I'm trying to do, I'm just trying to give you a way of how do we read these books, Ezekiel, other prophetical books, so that their imagery is so crazy, we don't know what to do with them all the time. Well, here's a little clue that I love. A month ago, I went to Denver. I landed in Denver, and you land at Denver International, you see the mountains. And there are the mountains, they just look pretty 2D. From Denver International Airport, there are the mountains to the west, and it's, wow, just a big wall of mountains to the west of Denver. Well, the next day, I went to my conference in the mountains, and I had a day of skiing, so I start to move west into the mountains. And what was completely two-dimensional starts to, I see, ah, oh, this mountain is actually really far from this one. From far away, they looked the same. But as I get into the mountains and climb them and we're driving along, the depth gets better. What I'm trying to explain is, in the same way, some of these prophetic books, they talk about past events, they talk about near future events, and they can talk about far future events all in the same breath. And for us, they look like they're 2D. But really, there's a 3D thing going on. And so what we're about to read in Ezekiel 28, we can take in two ways, and still be good readers of the Bible. It is about the fall of the king of Tyre. Tyre is a city in southwest Lebanon, still existing today. But it's very much also the story of the fall of Satan. And here, you, 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 can, you can see for yourself. Let's look at it. Ezekiel 28, where are we? 28, oh, where are we starting? How about 12? Son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. He's about to list nine stones, nine of the 12 that appear on the priestly garments of the priests of Israel. And other translations actually put all 12 in. Ruby, topaz, and emerald, chrysolite, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings were mounted, excuse me, your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, okay, an angel. For so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God, okay, you were in the presence of God. You walked among the fiery stones, and no one really agrees with what that means, fiery stones, but... As you read the Bible, kind of the fire of God always indicates His presence and His holiness. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. 
So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God, and I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones, right, from among the presence of God. And listen to this. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. And the thing you need to know is all this happened before we ever get to Genesis 1. When we start Genesis 1, in the beginning God created, this drama has already unfolded. You were born into. Adam and Eve were born into. They had a choice to not totally engage in it, but we know the story that they blew it. Adam and Eve, because of their sin, we have been born, all of us, into a world at war. Your enemy, the devil. So let's get to the important part. Why is this so critical? Right? Why is it important for you to know that you are opposed and that you've been born into a world at war? How does this help? Well, I'll tell you. I've got, I've got three things I want to share with you about how this helps. Right? That you've been born into a world at war. The first thing, just knowing this, I grew up in the era of G.I. Joe. Great little cartoon. And if you remember the cartoon... Uh, I didn't else see G.I. Joe as a kid, or am I just old? Is it still? Okay, so it's, I don't know how syndicated it is. Good. G.I. Joe always shares a little PSA, a public service announcer, right? Knowing is? Yes. Okay, there it is. Knowing is half the battle. Knowing is half the battle, and it really is. One thing that knowing does, that you have an enemy is, it lets you understand that it's not all your fault. Okay? It's not all your fault. And as soon as I say those words, I don't know about you, if you have a movie vocabulary like mine, I immediately think about Goodwill Hunting. Okay? A movie that I totally avoided for a long time because I was a good Christian and it was so full of F-bombs and you know, they, had to be so, you know, they had to be so real to Boston life, right? I really wanted to show this scene and I really think you should go see it. But I'm just going to show you the picture there. So let's do that. Let's remember the scene. <laughs> I'm not good enough with things that I can just block out those little audio parts, but it would be a lot blocked out if we saw the scene. Remember the scene if you've seen it? Goodwill Hunting, the character played by Matt Damon, is seeing the psychiatrist played by Robin Williams, and Matt Damon is kind of the classic underachiever. He's brilliant, but he's a, he's a janitor at MIT, but a brilliant kid. But one of the things that's caused him to be such a brilliant underachiever is the fact that he was beaten by his dad, an alcoholic. And so the scene starts actually with Robin Williams, they're opening the file and seeing the pictures of his body bruised and beaten because of his dad's alcoholic rages. And Robin Williams, his character just starts out, you know it's not your fault. And you know, Matt Damon, Goodwill Hunting, yeah I know, thanks. He's like, no, it's not your fault. He says, I know, I know. And he's, he's cl- the distance is closing between them. It's not your fault. And, and there, there, the anger kind of hits, you know, and, and, and Goodwill Hunting says, you know, well, let's see, what does he say? Choice, choice words. You know, shut the F up, whatever, F, 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 this, stop it, you know, that, right? <laughs> then a few more times, it's not your fault. And that's when Goodwill Hunting breaks down weeping. Finally, probably for the first time in his life, weeping over the wounds that he's incurred under his dad. 
And some of you, I can't think of a better picture of the heart of God for some of you tonight. Now, do we have sinful responses to the things done to us? Absolutely. You and I, we, both have, we all have sinful responses to some of these bad things. But you need to know the initial wounding, some of those initial defining wounds in your life. It's not your fault because you have an enemy who's out to steal, kill, and destroy. That's why it's important that we know it. A second reason it's important that we know that we have an enemy is because we don't want to be complicit with him anymore. There's times when Kelsey and I start an argument and all of a sudden it will just take this diabolical turn and we need to look at each other and go, hold on, you're not the enemy, I'm not the enemy, the enemy is the enemy right now. And we just kind of got out of control, right? Have you had those kind of conflicts before with your roommates, your friends, your coworkers, where all of a sudden it gets really personal and really difficult? I think a lot of times it's because there's an enemy that's trying to steal, kill, and destroy. And if you can pause right there and say, hold on, this is getting to be diabolic. Let's, let's stop right now and say, God, come on, help us. At least that's what Kelsey and I have to do. So you realize that you don't want to be complicit to the enemy. He just said, you know, where you're wounded or where you're not yet uh, mature, that's where he al- alights. And you know, God's honestly, not God, well, the, I mean, maybe in his sovereignty he's allowing it, but the enemy oftentimes, he'll just this perfect storm of like your insecurities and someone else's brokenness, and they come together, and all of a sudden there's conflict. It's the enemy. And he's just trying to shake things up. And the third reason, I'll say the most important reason why it is good for us to realize that we are opposed, that we've been born into a world at war, is so that we stop misunderstanding God's character. That we stop blaming God. You know, even this title of the series is Why God, Why? Of course, there's the question of why does God allow it all? Even, you know, uh, the pastor of our sending church, Pastor Sean, his own child asked him just last week, well, Daddy, if God doesn't like evil, why did he allow the devil? Well, Pastor Sean, Gordon Conwell graduate, doesn't really have an answer for that. And I don't really either. But what I know is, I know what I read from Scripture. Like 2 Samuel 14, 14 is one of my favorite. It says, but God does not take away life. Instead, he devises ways so that banished people may not remain estranged from him. That's the heart of God. He's always devising ways. He's not just, we'll see what happens. God's devising ways to bring people back to himself. Similar Scripture in Ezekiel, right? The book we just looked at. For our little devil story, Ezekiel 18.23 says, Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Sovereign Lord? Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? That's the heart of God tonight. That is the heart of God. So I'm going to ask you to do something tonight. I'm going to ask you to pray a very simple prayer. And we'll be taking communion also. So at this point, I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up and kind of prepare our hearts for communion. But... Whether you are here and you've been following Jesus for many years, or maybe you're here and you don't even know what you think about God and Jesus and all this stuff, I'm going to ask both of you to pray the same prayer. Christians, I want you to pray this. And folks who don't identify themselves as Christians, I dare you to pray this. Just, if there's any faith in your heart, say, God, if you're real, I want to pray this prayer. And the prayer I want you to pray is, God, what were you doing? when I experienced this trauma, you know, trauma X, whatever your defining wounds are. God, what were you thinking 
God, what were you feeling when this was going on in my life? You know, when my parent passed away from cancer, when my mother or my father uh, disappointed me, you know, when there's wounding there or whatnot, you know? Who isn't wounded by their parents? You know, it's one of the scariest things for me as a parent. I'm like, Lord, I don't want to wound my child. And when I do, help me to repent. And let's talk about it. Let's both go to the Father. But anyways, I just want you to ask God, what was he feeling and what he's thinking? I want to tell you, a breakthrough for me was in college. You know, when I was 10 years old, a really interesting thing happened. And, uh, you know, with Jesus, like Jesus came on the earth, but there's this preemptive strike by the devil to try to kill all these two-year-old babies, you know, I mentioned. Well, 10 years old was go time for me. 10 years old is when I asked God, God, you come into my heart. I want to, I understand. I want to follow you, Jesus. I had the faith of a child. Honestly, my faith then was bigger than it is now in many ways. Simple child saying, yes, I love you. But in the same year, and I can't remember which came first, but in the same year, a diabolical thing happened. And that was that the male babysitter that I'd had touched me in a way that he should have gone to jail for. And if I had said anything, he would have gone to jail. And that messed me up in a big way. And that was one of my defining wounds. But he said, Neil, if you tell anyone, I'll kill you. So I just shut my mouth for years. <clears throat> that was a defining wound. But in college, as I was processing this very thing that I'm sharing with you, I had a wonderful picture. And I realized that God wasn't just out of the picture. A, that he was there. B, I realized that there was another actor in that scene, my enemy, the devil, who was messing with me. And then C, I realized, what was God's reaction? His reaction was, oh, my son, my son. His reaction over the pain that I was experiencing in that moment was, oh, my son, my son, I love you. And I've, I've parted heaven and earth. I've sent my son Jesus that you could be healed from this trauma that's come your way. That's why we celebrate Easter, because there's resurrection life to transform my heart. And I, I said, yes, God, you were sad. You know, you wept over the pain that I experienced. And I wonder if some of you can experience the same healing that I experienced in that moment by asking God to come into that very place where you're hurting, because he wants to do it. And his heart is, I love you. I can't answer the question of why he's limited himself so that he didn't interrupt in that moment. I mean, I can say a few things, but that's, there's a whole kind of way we go with that in philosophy and, and whatnot. I'm not going to go there now. It's beyond the scope of tonight. But I do know that he loves you. I do know that he loves you very much. And the proof is the very thing we celebrated last week. Will you pray that prayer? If you've got, you got a defining wound in your life that you need to ask God, hey, what were you feeling? What were you doing in that time? I invite you to do it. The other thing I invite you to do is, we've got plenty of these little books called Epic. And I can't think of a better way of understanding God's working in the universe than this little book called Epic. If you're a Harbor member, I want you to give us $2 for it so you can cover your cost. Or if you've got a dollar, give us a dollar. If you've got 50 cents, give us 50 cents. If you've got nothing, just take it. If you're a, har- if you're a guest here tonight, just take the book, Okay? If you got $10 and you want to help five people get the book, give $10. But they're all just in the back table there as you, get, as you go out. Just take one of these. And, and you'll find that what we talked about last night is largely in chapter 2 of the four or five chapters in there. Okay? <clears throat> okay. Why don't you stand up? I'm going to ask uh, those from our leadership team who are helping out with communion, come on up. <clears throat> Anyone from the leadership team, don't be shy. Come on up. I need, I need five people. One, two, three, four, five. Good. We got a gluten-free option here on the communion. That's you. That's the little plate. 
<laughs> yeah, why don't we just set up here and here? Great. How we're going to do communion tonight is we're still trying to figure out what works best with this building and with the personality of our church. We're going to do, as we used to do in the Y, communion at will. So we're going to open things up and just when you're ready, when you want to, I'd like it if you come down the center aisle, though, so there's a good flow. And you can take, partake of the matzah bread and the grape juice, and you're welcome to eat it here. You're welcome to, to bring it back to your seat, just however you want to respond. The main thing is that we have a sober heart before God. And believe me, listen, if, if, if this is a world at war, then there's not a better MRE, meal ready to eat, right? Those army rations that come in little cans. There's not a better MRE than this communion because it represents the, the body and the blood of Christ that was broken and for us. So we remember, actually, on that night, when Jesus was betrayed, how he gave thanks and he broke the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We remember also how after the meal. He took the cup and he said, this is my blood. This is the cup of the new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. So I'm just going to lead us in a little prayer time here and worship band, if you could give us a little flow. I'm going to pray about the thing that I mentioned and then I'll invite you to come on up. Jesus, thank you that it's in your mercy that you let us know that we are opposed. So we're not clueless about where these things are coming from. All the ways that the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, Lord. Thank you in your mercy. You've let us know that we have an enemy, the devil, and that he prowls around like a roaring lion to seek those whom he can devour. Oh, but thank you, God, that we're not without the protection and the grace and the mercy of God himself, the blood of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, your angels, these mighty beings that have, they're mightier than Satan. And we just invite you, Lord, right now, those places where the enemy has really thrown a curveball into our lives, really devastated us through death and sin and disease and wounding and rejection and all the things that are in the enemy's arsenal. God, we lay those before you. And I just pray for each person here that there'd be a real sense of God's weeping with us. We see it on the cross. If we're not sure about God's heart, we just need to look at the cross and see that this is a God who suffers with us. That's what compassion means. Suffer with. Jesus, you suffered with us. We should receive that by faith. And God, I'm asking for substantive healing in people's hearts tonight where the wounds of the enemy have been so severe, you know, things have been amputated and lost. God, you came to restore, Lord. You said that you came to seek and save that which was lost. Not just who was lost, but that which was lost. And in this room, there's a lot of lostness. There's a lot of brokenness. There's a lot of woundedness. There's a lot of reparenting that needs to happen by the power of God and the Holy Spirit. Thank you, God. <laughs> Another prayer that I just want to lead some of us in is this, you know, especially as we heard some of these testimonies, we're not into judging our parents, okay? No parent comes with a manual that's how-to. I mean, except for the Bible, which is an awesome how-to manual. But you need to release your parents. If you're, if you're carrying a wound like, ah, oh, you know, if you're so bitter against mom and dad, it's going to just kill you. So, Father, I just pray right now also there'd be a release. God, we, we just honor our parents 
in the name of Jesus. And where we've wounded by them, we release them by God's grace. So Lord, come and visit that place. If that's a hard place for some of you, get someone to pray with you. We'd love to pray with you on the leadership team. We'd love to pray with you. And you can signal that you want prayer by going to uh, one of these side areas to the right or the left after communion. Amen.